Psalm 31. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And we see so many things happening. We see our bodies falling apart. We see uh, catastrophes taking place. And Lord, this has been happening for thousands of years, but there's also the birth pains that your son spoke of. And so Lord, we see our society. We know what is taking place. We cannot sweep it under the carpet. And so Lord, we just thank you and praise you that you are a merciful God, but you are also a just God. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, in Houston, in the Texas area, in the Houston area, in uh, Florida, as uh, the hurricane is starting to hit. We have no idea what's going to happen, but we do know you're God and that you have a plan and you have a purpose behind these things. And so, Lord, as believers, we just look to your word. We trust you and we thank you. Again, you have a plan. So help us be available to people as they question, as they say, where is God? Where is this God of love you speak of? Father, we can address the issue and say God is love, but he is also just. Even as we're going to see this morning in your word, Father, you you loved Absalom, but you also judged Absalom. So give us wisdom, give us discernment. I pray for the gift of teaching. And Father, that you'll be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we don't know exactly when this was written, but it appears that it might be in reference to the time of Absalom's rebellion against his father, King David. And you can find that in 2 Samuel 15 through 18. You see, over a period of time, Absalom secretly led a smear campaign against his father. Even one of David's wisest counselors, Ahithophel, went along with Absalom's plan to dethrone the king. And this is not what David did to King Saul. And Absalom's plan was not endorsed by God in any way. You see, David waited patiently for God's will to be done in Saul's life. And it was God who lifted up David to the throne to become the second king of Israel. And we are going to see that David expresses the obvious intent of his enemy throughout this psalm. But he also expresses God's ability to deliver him from all of his enemies. In the first two verses there, I like the way that David starts out the psalm. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. See, if indeed this was written about Absalom, again, we don't know for sure, but if it was, it was written in David's latter years. You see, 2 Samuel 5, 4 says this, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. So we know David passed in his early 70s. Absalom was probably in his mid-30s at the time of his rebellion, which they estimate to be four or five years prior to David's death. So David would have been in his mid-60s. Absalom would have been in his mid-30s. 
And David speaks of being delivered by God's righteousness, whereas in some of his earlier writings, you've even seen this, I've been going through Psalms, he speaks of his own righteousness. You see, David had obviously matured in this regard because we have no righteousness apart from God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So David acknowledges that his trust in God is there, and he throws up a short little prayer. Let me never be ashamed, he says there in verse 1. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. You see, when we place our trust in God, we do not have to worry or be ashamed of misplaced trust. Of misplaced trust. You see, with God, we can trust Him totally. People will let us down. Now, we need to trust in people, so we don't want to go on any extreme. We need to trust in one another. But unfortunately, because we're human, we can let each other down, either on purpose or not on purpose. But God, because he is God, he always has the best in mind for us. And that's that's hard to imagine, especially if you're going through a hurricane. But we're not God. And God has a plan and God has a purpose, even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of a devastating storm. You see, he is our righteousness and will become our rock and fortress. Notice what David says here. Bow down your ear to me, deliver me speedily, be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. You see, rock and fortress refer to something firm, something firm, a stronghold, a place of defense. Even in the midst of our storms, when we really trust in God, we just don't say it, but we literally believe it, then act upon it, we will realize that he literally is our defense. He is our fortress. He is our stronghold. We can take refuge in him. And as we look at David's prayers, oftentimes we see, deliver me speedily. Deliver me speedily. And I think that is probably our prayer, right? Deliver me, quick. God, get me out of this fast. But you see, God's timing is perfect. And certain things needed to take place before God would restore David to his rightful place in the throne room, overseeing Israel once again as the anointed king. See, David was king and he was praying in Jerusalem. Deliver me, deliver me. But certain things need to take place. And you might be in a storm right now in your life, and you're saying, God, deliver me. Why aren't you delivering me? Why aren't you answering my prayer? You see, God has a plan. Let's read on in verse 3 and 4. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. You see, because God was the focus of David's life, again, remember, if he did write it at this time, he's in his late 60s, David was willing to allow God to lead and guide him. And we can never ask for a better leader. 
in a battle or a better guide through a minefield. You see, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And as Jesus promised in John's gospel, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, the guide. I'm going to send him to you. He's going to come in you. He's going to remain with you forever and ever. And he will lead you and guide you into all truth. What is truth? The word of God and God himself. Not the truth that I want in my life but what the truth literally is. And we will see that truth unfold as we continue to trust in him. Because on one hand we have that, and on the other hand there are those who sometimes lay traps for us. They might be believers as well as unbelievers. Absalom was laying a trap for his father. They might be doing it intentionally or unintentionally. But either way, we need to trust that God is our strength. That He is able to lead and guide us through the most terrible of times. To not give in to the tactics of the enemy, but rather commit our lives into the Father's hands. I have a couple verses. You know, 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore that those who suffer, you and me, being a Christian does not mean that we will never suffer. The world has this strange idea. And sometimes we can even portray that. Well, if you just receive Jesus, everything will be fine. Everything might not be fine. Your eternal welfare is going to be fine. But everything in this life, you know, sometimes the problems don't stop right then and there. You're in the midst of the problem. So don't give anyone false hope. Give them the reality of hope. That you will now have eternal life with Christ. And he works all things together for the good for those who love him. Love him. Let him love you. And yes, it will work out for the good. But it still could be a very hard time. According to the will of God, commit their souls. Your soul is your being, as I've explained often. Because that can be like, oh, my soul. What's my soul? Your soul is your personality. It's who you are. Your whole being. It's the way you act. It's the way you react. How do you react when the pressure's on? How do you act when you get news? You know, my, my wife, Claudia, wonderful gal, 36 years. Known her for maybe 40 years. We've dated for three and a half years. She's a reactionary. She'll admit it. She is just a reactionary. Something happens, she reacts. And then she'll, well, okay. But that's her first thing is to react. You see, we have a personality. My first thing is to just kind of sit back and go, wow, that probably hurt. What should we do? I'm more laid back. It works. It works out. But you have to know yourself and you know I have to know I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need God in my life so that he'll work it for the good. God does. He works it for the good. How about 2 Timothy 1.12? Paul writes his final letter for this reason. I also suffer these things. Paul writing from prison. Wait a minute. I, I, Christians went to prison? Yeah. Christians are even going to prison today. They're being martyred for Christ today. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Even as David writes in the psalm, don't let me be ashamed. Guys, we don't need to be ashamed of Christ. This world needs an answer. The government is not the answer. The school system is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. 
bringing them to Sunday school like you're doing, getting them involved with CKC, the little ones. Men, coming out to men's Bible study. Ladies, coming out to ladies' Bible study. The midweek Bible study. The marriage enrichment nights. The college and career. The home fellowships. All of these things are available so that we can not only go and participate, but so we can bring someone who needs Jesus to them. Invite someone to a home fellowship. Invite someone to a marriage night. Invite someone to college and career. Invite somebody to Wednesday nights as Darrell's going through the book of Hebrews. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Invite them. And you might be surprised. They might just say, oh, yeah, I think I will. After you wake up, you can then say, well, this is the time. You, but if you don't invite them, how do you know? So guys, we have an opportunity as believers to invite. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he, God, he is able to keep what I have committed to him unto that day. What is Paul saying? Keep, keep what? Keep my life. And if God wants me in prison, then God's got me in prison. And David even had this, as we look back in Psalm 31, he had this mentality in his life about Absalom, his son. He kind of went to the extreme, almost cost him. But he had that mentality. I'm going to do whatever it takes. If I have to leave the palace, if I have to leave the country, I'm going to do whatever it takes, God, because my life is in your hands, as we're going to see. Verse 5, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Now, as you read that, as you hear that, you probably go, hey, that's one of the phrases that Jesus used on the cross as he commanded his spirit to leave his body. It was another evidence that Jesus was and is God because you and I, we do not have that ability to do that. People may think they do, but they don't. Some take their lives, but this is not releasing their spirit. This is just rebelling against the maker of their spirit. You see, David proclaims that God is truth. Notice that, O Lord, God of truth. I have to leave the palace? My son wants to kill me? This is not good truth. But it's God's truth. And God has a plan. So David proclaims that God is truth and that God has redeemed his soul. So David is doing what? He is committing his spirits. This is not a deathbed commitment. This is a life commitment. God, I don't understand why this is happening. Why should I, being the king, have to leave Jerusalem, all the comforts, when my stinking kid is trying to kill me? Why do I have to do this? I don't know why. But God, if this is your plan, then this is what I'm going to do. And I commit into your hands, I commit my spirit. David is saying, I commit my whole life into my heavenly Father's hands. Get the big picture, guys, because you don't—you haven't gone through anything that David didn't go through. He, he's going to lose it all. It's only going to be momentarily. We know the rest of the story. But in his time, did he know the rest of the story? He didn't know the rest of the story. He's getting out of town to save his life. He didn't know he was coming back. He thought it could be over. My son may kill me. Those forces that were under me all of these years will turn against me and possibly kill me. And then think of the thoughts that he went through when he was one of the highest ranking officials under King Saul, when he went into the wilderness by himself. 
and Saul and thousands of forces that David used to command are now coming after him to kill him 40 years, 35 years earlier. I mean, talk about the twilight zone. He's having to go through this all again. But what does he show us? No matter how old, I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to commit my whole life to God. Yes, it should be more comfortable. Yes, I should have more leisure. I shouldn't have to go through this nonsense. I'm committing my life to God. That's what I'm going to stay focused on. Verses 6 through 8. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities. Notice that. You you know me. This goes back to, we'll get to it eventually, Psalm 139. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. Where can I go from your presence? David says, you know. You know me. And have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. Again, David is able to look back and he acknowledges God's deliverance over the years. And even though there were those who were coming against him, it was God who had set David's feet in a wide place. You know, notice in verse 7 that God took notice of David's troubles there. Notice that. Afflictions, as well as adversities, tightness. It's difficult to maneuver when you're confined mentally or physically. David had issues mentally. He dealt with depression. There's no question about that. But he also had issues physically where he was trapped physically. Saul had him surrounded. You are mine. I'm going to kill you. And God delivered him. Whatever you find yourself in possibly today, whether it's mental or physical, trust in God. You might feel like I am trapped. I cannot get out. I can't maneuver. Trust in God because God will deliver you. How does he do that? I think personally through the word of God, through prayer, as also as remembering how he has done it in the past. You see, David mentally remembers the many times that God faithfully delivered him out of those physically tight spots. You see, God's faithfulness builds our faith. God's faithfulness builds our faith and trust in him. You know, if you have weak faith, like some people say, you know, I just don't have enough faith. Why is that? It's not that God hasn't given it to you. The Bible does say that God's given every person a measure of faith. That's that faith to receive Jesus as your Savior. Boom, there it is. Now what are you going to do with it? You know, it's unfortunate, like I share with you, in getting older, my dad, he's on a bicycle every week. They strap his feet to a bicycle, and the bicycle moves his feet. He doesn't move. The bicycle moves his feet. Trying to keep the joints and the muscles and the ligaments doing something because he can't do it anymore. Same for you and I. We have to do that on a regular basis or we're going to have problems. It's the same with our faith. If we don't exercise our faith, not the goofy stuff on channel 21, but just, hey, I'm in this tight spot. God, I'm, t- I'm looking to you. I'm trusting in you. I'm going to go to your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek counsel with somebody else. And you get through that storm and all of a sudden you can look back and go, man, look what God did. 
Look what God did through his word. Look what God did through so-and-so. Look at what God, but the point is, look at what God did, and that builds your faith and your trust in him. Remember his faithfulness, guys. That's what David is doing in this psalm. David is remembering God's faithfulness, not his own, God's faithfulness. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble, verse 9. My eye waste away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. Tears. Again, David is just expressing. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among all my friends, but especially among my neighbors. And I am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mine. I am like a broken vessel. For I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. You see, there were those who were scheming to overthrow the throne. And they were even willing to kill if necessary. And David clearly understood that, and this caused a tremendous grief within his heart. So he expresses those emotions in a very poetic way, the feelings that were overwhelming him. We don't see anywhere in scriptures where David had an ailment. So I have to take this as David is filled with so much grief, so much sorrow. And for those of you who have children, especially children in their 20s and 30s, and our wayward children, and maybe even saying things about you or against you or doing things against you, you might be able to understand a little bit of what David is going through here. The grief can be overwhelming. You might expect it from somebody on the outside, but somebody on the inside, someone that you gave birth to, someone that you took care of for so many years, someone you've always been there for for so many years, and they're still coming against you, So David is expressing this. And at the same time, could these emotions have caused him harm? They could have. You know, deep-seated sorrow can cause bodily ailments. And Absalom, again, his son, his own flesh and blood was coming against him to literally kill his father. That was his desire. Not to just put him out of the kingdom. I'm going to kill David. I'm going to kill him. So again, did David have an ailment? We don't know. But this we do know. Absalom was seeking after the power that comes with the throne. And unfortunately, power is often a very destructive thing in the hands of an immature and prideful person. And as the story played out, the pursuit of power had the same results in the hands of Absalom. Destruction. 14 through 18. But as for me, I trust in you. Notice, the enemy, God. The enemy, God. Who is your enemy? Who is your God? The thief cometh, but to steal, kill, and destroy. We all have an enemy. Who is your enemy? But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies. And from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Notice David is going to God in the midst of his trial and tribulation. Do not let me be ashamed. O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. 
Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. You know, when I first read that, or my first thought I had was, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God, my times. My times are in your hand. You know, we often think, especially in our society today, what, what about me? What about me time? And you know, it's important for you and me to have that time. We need to refresh our bodies physically. We need to refresh our minds mentally from all the stresses of this life. We definitely need that. Unfortunately, though, our culture has taken that concept to the extreme, and it's all about me and my time on a regular basis. And David shows us here that all time is God's, and that God knows what lies ahead. Again, we'll get to this in Psalm 139. Now, as I'm getting closer, I'm not quite there yet, but I've heard that when you get older and know that you're heading into those final years of this life, that you look back and really evaluate me time. Me time. And what you, and here's what you evaluate. What you could have done, or what you should have done for the Lord. We'll leave that slide up for a minute. You see, since our time, our whole Lives are in God's hands. Let's not wait until those final days or weeks or months. But let's evaluate on a regular basis what we could or should be doing for the Lord. Because guys, we only have an opportunity on this side of heaven. When we get to heaven, party's over. We won't be asking God, hey, what can I do for you today? You need any witnessing done in heaven? You need any cleaning done? You need any building done? No, it's over. What we do on this side of heaven We're storing up treasure in heaven. You know, what could you have done or what you should have done for the Lord? People typically don't ask, I I wish I could have invested better. I wish I could have made more money. People don't do that. Because they know, I'm stepping over. I'm done. And my money's going to be left for somebody else. What could I or should I have done for the Lord? Verses 19 and 20. Oh, how great is your goodness which you have laid up for those who reverence you. Again, notice David's David's expressions here. Oh, how great is your goodness. I'm getting chased out of the kingdom. You're, You're good. Which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues great oh how great is your goodness the word great there is abundant abundant and notice david is already expressing that god has prepared a place of protection for his children that god is outside our time realm and even though we cannot understand how god is going to bring us through a certain situation he does and he will Even when there are false lies being said, God will defend his children and the truth will prevail. So important. 21 and 22. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I have said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Notice that. I've said in my haste. Where's God? 
Why isn't God listening to my prayers? David acknowledges. For I said, in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, now he thinks back about his hasteful thoughts. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications. When I cried out to you, David acknowledges. You heard me. And you see, God always answers our prayers. He just has three ways of answering them. It's really, really simple. It's yes, it's no, it's wait. We really hate the no and the wait. But it's three simple answers for you young people as you pray. Learn these three simple answers. Yes, no, wait. And if you and I, whether we're young or old, can learn to listen to the voice of God, we will save ourselves so much pain and anguish. Because oftentimes as we move on, and I'm sure many of you can identify this, as we move on and we make a decision and we do it our way, we look back and we say, I knew God was telling me no, but I did it anyways. Well, I didn't even think about that. But let me ask that question just for confirmation. Has anybody done something like that? You've made the decision. You prayed about it. You're, you're pretty sure God was saying no, but you did it anyways. And then you look back and go, yeah, I knew God said no, or I knew God said to wait, but I did it anyways. Anybody in this room ever do that? Don't be afraid. You're not going to get stoned. It's for the it's, it's for the young adults. Keep your hands up. It's for the next generation as well to realize, hey, it happens to all of us. It happens. What you don't want to do is have it happening over and over and over again. You should learn from that and go, okay, you know what? I'd acted hastily back here. I'm not going to do that this time. God said no. We're going through this right now in our own personal lives. I'm praying for a certain thing, and I thought I was going to have it, and it didn't work out. And I'm, and I'm like, cool, God's got something better. I've just learned that in my life. I'm like, this is fantastic. God, he's got something better. And I'm not talking about shiny, polished, better. I'm just saying something better that's going to be really good for me in my life and where we're at. You have to get to that place as well. No, yes, wait. And right now I'm in the waiting pattern. I'm in the wait time. I'm like, okay, God, if you want me to wait, I'm cool with that. That's great. You've got something better. I'm just going to trust in you. Verses 23 and 24. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. And again, think about everything David's going through. And what does he say? Love the Lord. Love the Lord. All you his saints. For the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage. I have these, this last verse highlighted in my Bible. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. All you who hope in the Lord. Not hope in the government. Hope in your next vacation. Hope in your 401k. Hope in your health. Hope in your family. Hope what? No, no, no. All you who hope in the Lord. You see, God, David tells us in these verses here that God will take care of the one who is arrogant or prideful. And David encourages the saints to just love the Lord. He'll take care of everything else. The word preserves there in, verse, in the middle of verse 23, it means to guard, to protect, 
to maintain. The Lord preserves the faithful, and what does he go on to say? And fully repays the proud person. Let's look at Matthew 5, 43 and 44, because this is so important in the days we're living in. And the more we take a stand for righteousness, this is going to become more and more prevalent, these verses right here. We have to guard our heart. And again, if this is the time of Absalom, if this is indeed the time, you want to think about all these things that David is going through. And here he says, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Again, preserves means to guard, to protect, to maintain. Matthew 5.43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. This is crazy. When you think of the Jewish people being under Rome, love your enemies. No, 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 no. The Romans are my enemies. They're oppressing us. And now you're telling me to love them? And guys, this is in the very beginning of the ministry. This, the, the disciples are just coming around Jesus and learning who he is. And he, one of the very first things he says is, uh, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Now, if I was coming around a guy like this, I might be going, I don't think you're the Messiah. I, I don't think I want to follow you. And you sound kind of wimpy here. And Jesus was not wimpy. He was a carpenter. He was probably really buff. He could take a beating. Do good to those who hate you. Oh, man, this guy's going way too far. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. That's for you and me, even this day, as Christianity is being attacked on all sides. You see, when we bless them, when we pray for them, we gain the peace that surpasses all understanding. And David wraps it up in 24. Be of good courage. Those four words there, this is what they mean in Hebrew. To fasten upon, to seize. To fasten upon, to seize. You see, when we cling to the Lord, what else did David have? He's being chased out of the kingdom. My own son wants to kill me. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to cling to God. I'm going to seize God. And David did it. He gave us this example of being strengthening by knowing and remembering that God will judge righteously. We can know for certain that as we leave the judgment to God, he will abundantly reward those who do evil. And as you read the story, Absalom received his reward because of the insurrection. When it was all said and done, God had once again protected David from the danger that was imminent. The people eventually found out the truth and David was restored to his rightful place and through his experience, he still encourages the saints today to do what? To trust in the Lord for he will deliver. Father, we thank you and praise you. There's a lot of things going on in this world. But there's also a lot of things going in our own lives. And yes, we are grieved over what's taking place with these hurricanes, earthquakes. But Lord, maybe there's someone in this room right now that is having their own personal hurricane. 
They feel devastated over a situation, a work situation, a a family situation, some type of relationship that's gone awry. Father, we thank you and praise you for this psalm and this example that David gives to us to never give up on you, that you are faithful. People will let us down, unfortunately. But you, God, never will. You are faithful. You will deliver. You will strengthen us. Lord, we just pray for those saints who are maybe going through something like that right now, right now in this very room. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them. Father, maybe it's someone who couldn't make it to church this morning because of their situation, their ailment, or whatever the case may be. Father, we pray that you would strengthen them right now, that they would know the saints are praying for them right now. Send your Holy Spirit, Father, to comfort them and strengthen them. Lord, these are real battles. Sometimes the mental anguish is so intense that we are captivated by it. Father, we just ask right now, set us free. Help us to lay that situation at your throne. For you care for us. You love us so much. You'll meet us right where we're at. You know, as the saints are praying, maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you're going through something like this, but you don't have Jesus as your Savior. And so you feel all alone. Even though you're in the midst of this group right now, you feel all alone. And that's because you you need the Holy Spirit, who in in the Bible is called the Comforter. You need comfort. We all need comforts. You're not going to find it in alcohol or drugs or sex. You need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You have people around you right now that are praying for you, that love you, that are concerned about your eternal state. And so if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And you can pray this prayer. That doesn't mean that the problems are all going to go away. But it does mean that the Holy Spirit will come within you and comfort you and strengthen you and give you wisdom through the storm. The Holy Spirit is available freely for you. But you need to ask. You need to invite Him in. So I'm going to pray this simple prayer. And if you'd like to pray this prayer, just repeat it after me. God hears and God knows. Just say, God, I need you. I do need a Savior. I acknowledge my sin and that I need to repent. I need to turn to you. So that's what I do right now. I turn 
to you. And I invite your Holy Spirit into my life. I invite Jesus to be my Savior right now. God, I thank you that even in this simple prayer, I am now your son. I am now your daughter. I don't understand it, but I accept it. And I say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we do pray again for our brothers and sisters in Texas and in Florida, for all those who are going to help, Lord. We just thank you and praise you for that. And we do ask your blessing on the outcome. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. As we have conversations this week, help us to be available to point people to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. When we all stand, you know, we were thinking of going to Houston to help out. And so um, I'd sent out emails and people had sent them out, sent them out. I actually talked to Pastor Ron this week at Calvary Chapel of Houston. And he said, unless you get here by the end of September, you're not going to be needed. I'm like, what? He goes, everybody's coming together. Everybody's going into each other's homes. Everybody's pulling stuff out to the curb. The city is already starting to pick stuff up and take it away to the dump. And he said, by the end of September, and there's almost 200,000 homes. He said, by the end of September, it's probably going to be done. The re- now, that's not, <laughs> that's not reconstruction. That's just pulling everything out. It's going to take years for reconstruction. But that's where contractors and things like that are going to come in, where, where, where most of us aren't, don't have that ability. So he said, you know what you could do is if you want to send funds, because we're feeding 4,000 people, we're feeding 4,000 people on a regular basis. If you'd like to send funds, so you can, you can go to Calvary Chapel Houston, their website, and it has a donation, you can give that way, and they'll take that money directly and, and use it for that. He said, but what you might want to do, and I spoke to him this past Tuesday, he said, but what you might want to do is you might want to pray about Florida. He said, I think they're going to need a lot of help. So let's pray about that. And we'll also pray about, um, this week I got some information about churches that we might be able to help in our community locally here that we can partner with to reach Christ. But they're a church that needs help. So we're going to look at that as well. So guys, there's opportunities. So be in prayer for Houston. Be in prayer for about uh, Florida. And maybe we'll take a trip to Florida in the next couple months if the Lord provides. God bless, guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you. Jesus 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 It's just that
glory with the saints I will tell my story there will be one name that I proclaim just our voices let's sing that out when I wake up in the land of glory with the saints I will tell my story there will be one name that I proclaim. There will be one name. There will be one name that I proclaim. There will be one name that I